black order the same way. So if you want all the stones and all the black order, you got to buy the whole kit and caboodle. I understand oh it's Lego doing business, but it's like, come on, man. I would take one over the other. Just give me all the stones and you guys can keep your... Just to give, I like how that's your version of fucking Thanos. Thanos quest. Just give me the stones. <laughs> Come on, Lego. Give me the stones. Uh, you want to construct? No one gets hurt. You want to construct the Infinity Gauntlet just to put it on your bookshelf and then never touch it again? It's tempting. Actually, the uh, new Milano comes with a little tiny display base for uh, the gauntlet too, so you could you could display it in all of its glory. I do love the idea of Thanos collecting the gems and doing everything he does in that movie just because he's really anal retentive and he has to have them all. (laughs) They're his Pokemon. I have to complete the set. Like, Gamora got him the glove for Christmas one year. He's like, oh, it has all these holes. It's so much better than that fake one I had. was an idea to bring together a group of unremarkable people to see if we could become something more so when they needed us we could record the podcast everyone else already had hello ladies and gentlemen welcome to box office pulp your one podcast stop for movies madness and moxie i'm your host and keeper of the time stone cody joining me today from the sanctum santorum damn it i did it again i can't say words sanctum san I don't want to see the Sanctum Santorum, man. That's that's, that's something else entirely. Apparently, I've never said Sanctorum once in my life, and now my tongue's like, I don't know what you want from me. The Sanctum (laughs) Santorum. It was going so well. I was proud of you for a minute. Oh, I read about eight lines of script before I just decided to go Mr. Magoo here. And all the way from the Ruins of Titan, it's Mike. Hey, it's I. It's all been thrown off now. Oh, this thing's a mess already. I love it. So if you can't tell, folks, we've assembled most of the boppers uh, to discuss the latest Marvel film to snap its fingers and destroy all the box office records in the universe. Avengers Infinity War. That's the last shred of professionalism I have. So at this point, Mike, hit it. You're doing a joke. I can feel it. No, it's it's I, I, I hate this podcast. Well, yeah, okay, that's wait, hold on. Let me. We are about two minutes in. <laughs> yeah. And it's over already. Like, it's done. Like, it's... We might as well trash this episode. And we're two <laughs> minutes in. I'm not even sure if we're recording, to be honest. Um, I'm the only one. There's no backup recordings of this episode. So <laughs> it is not perfectly balanced in any way. You know how years ago they just took all of those old E.T. games and dumped them in the desert because they were so bad, but because they were so hard to find, they became valuable? That might be a release strategy for us. (laughs) Oh, we make ourselves more scarce? (laughs) We're the lost podcast. podcast We're only on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea, guys. We'll we'll market it later. So I just Uh, want to uh, take a moment to say... Gamora dies. Also, there's going to be spoilers in this episode. 
spoilers, spoilers, Avengers die. Which we can finally say truthfully. I'm Yay. so happy the time for, this movie dies. Except for Mike prefaces it by actually giving a real spoiler first, so it holds form perfectly, even while being honest. Fucking everyone but China has seen this movie at the time we're recording this. All of our Chinese viewers are going to be pissed. It is funny how this is one of the few releases where it really does feel like, no, everyone saw it the first couple of days. I will say, this brings out something weird I've noticed with folks. Um, there were some people I would talk to about Avengers 3, and they would respond with, oh, yeah, I didn't go to see it yet. I don't like seeing movies when there's a big crowd, which is like, one, what the fuck? That's when it's most fun. But two, what a weird hipster thing to say. Like, everybody else is out there seeing this thing, so I'm just going to wait because I don't think I want to see it if they want to see it. I mean, some people oh. just don't like to go to a crowd movie. <laughs> That's not that weird. It depends on the crowd and the movie and it, whether or not it's opening weekend. Because I try to avoid opening weekends whenever I can because those get a bit too much. Yeah, Especially if it's around. a horror movie or a comedy, then it just becomes a party sometimes. Uh, it's way more fun yeah. to see a horror film opening weekend. The best times I have are like seeing Conjuring films opening weekend. Maybe we're. But I understand are. sometimes folks don't like crowds, or sometimes, you know, people are idiots, and if you get enough of them together, chances are you're going to bump into a really bad one. Tony, but... did you become a robot very briefly during that? <laughs> <laughs> Your voice got really weird. It's always like that. Okay. It's just, that's just how I communicate. Are you the vision? But <laughs> I wish. He's my favorite. <laughs> Le- not even joking. Legitimately, Vision's my favorite. Um, which sucks, because that motherfucker dies twice. It's like they're really putting the screws to me. <laughs> uh, if only he'd been wearing the cardigan, that would have been maximum tragedy no! for you. Oh, he died so well-dressed. <laughs> Although, if you're going to die, you want to d- die dressed well. So, boy, it's more of a shame he didn't get to go out in high fashion. But the point I was trying to make was Avengers is, at this point, like, it's a cultural event. Everyone's going out to see it, and everyone's going to be discussing it, and it's going to influence our discussions for the rest of the summer. So being proud that you didn't see it is just a really weird kind of way of wagging your finger at the rest of society. I'm always very puzzled by that, because it's like, it's perfectly fine and in a certain way necessary for people to just opt out of certain pop culture experiences. Like, I completely understand that. It's weird when you're proud of denying yourself information. It's particularly weird in my mind because we have so few things where, like, everybody gets together to discuss one item. It's not like back in the day where there are only three things on television and two of them are garbage. So we all sat down to watch MASH together. Everyone has 10,000 ways they can entertain themselves right now. So pop culture is very fractured. And when you can find something like Infinity War that just drags everybody to the theater, that's pretty cool, actually. Like, you finally found something that everybody's into at the same time. Yeah, it's one of the appeals of things like uh, Game of Thrones and Westworld. And just a couple of years ago, like when Walking Dead was at its absolute height of popularity. Oh, yeah. It's become such a precious thing for us to share a pop culture experience like we used to. So going off of that, let's just take a few minutes to geek out about some of the shit that happened in this movie, because I think we all have a lot we want to say that was just like, oh my god! And then we can get into, like, real actual movie discussion later. Just as a direct gut reaction to the film. I love your positive plunket there. Oh my god, it's good! (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to stop killing people now. Because Infinity War was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why. Thanos did achieve balance, guys. <laughs> we're we're just Zodiac now. He was like, oh, it was good. I got to hang it up. <laughs> I've been waiting all these years. <laughs> Then if we're just going to start with random threads of things that left an impression on us, I think we have to start with the greatest cameo in movie yeah, history. Yeah. <laughs> Why are we all cheering for a Nazi? Listen, he's, he, he has seen the air of his ways through the cosmos, apparently. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't think it's he saw amazing. the air of his ways. He's just screwed. Like, he got the ultimate punishment. <laughs> like, you get to spend the next forever standing by a waterfall to be like, there's the thing I really want, but I can never have. It's not even the thing he wants. It's the thing next to the thing he wants. <laughs> he gets the spiritual version of the power battery he wanted to fund his Nazi war machine. <laughs> so I think that's fun. I like the idea that the Red Skull has just had a real bad time the last 80 years. It was a little sad that we didn't get Weaving back, but honestly, I'm fine with Marvel moving on because it didn't seem like Weaving wanted to take the role back. I honestly just, like, walking out of the theater, assumed they just CGI'd Red Skull and got Weaving to do a couple of lines over Skype or something <laughs> to seal his contract. I mean, the fact that that's famous. just another dude is amazing. Right? They made a smart move of getting a guy who does celebrity impressions and is also an amazing actor of his own right. So it's like the perfect melding of the two. Do you think this means we have a chance of actually getting the Red Skull to come back? Or God, was this so. just a, here's a fun thing. Goodbye I mean, now. if it's the only time he reappears, like, okay, that works. But I feel like they like having Skull back on the board in some way. I mean, he has especially the powers. Russos because they want to direct him. <laughs> you know, that was something I was actually discussing with uh, Mike and MB just last night. MB through text since he is currently in Communicano. Like, if they want to, they can use this as an excuse to bring the Red Skull back and have him just be current comic book Red Skull, who's a giant cosmic threat. I mean, they're going to have to do something big after this. Assuming they clear the board off and we lose a couple of classic Avengers because contracts or whatever, we still have the threat level raised to Thanos. So, like, from now on, I assume big Marvel films have to have a big, big threat. Like, they got to get Galactus in there somehow or something. Uh, we've discussed this in the past, and my thing is always it's the opposite. Like, we, they, they've kind of shot their wad on the giant galactic menace that's over there, coming. I think what they need to do is the opposite and bring it back down to Earth and really invest in the universe of villains they've only just started to scratch the surface on. Yeah, I mean, I don't want them to do another, like, hey, here's eight credit scenes leading up to a giant, big crossover film. Not really. Uh, if they could have, like, a good villain for a one-parter, two-parter kind of thing, that'd be pretty dope. Like, hell, give us a Masters of Evil Avengers movie with all of the villains together. I give us the anti-Avengers. Like, I, I think I've said this before. I feel like Zemo being alive is them planting something for what would come after Infinity War down the line. Mm -hmm. And I guess it does come down to the Avenger, too. Like, if they happen to keep making Avenger movies, you always have to have a big threat that can take on everyone. But for the solo films, you really don't need a, a guy who can wipe out half the universe. 
There's only a, a couple of teams where that makes sense. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy, because that's their name. But a lot of the stuff like Captain America would be perfectly fine fighting much smaller threats. Yeah, it's just a shame Ultron's off the board. Yeah, yeah. That, that is interesting. Do you think that there's any possibility, though, that, like, way the hell down the line, like, maybe like a decade from now, for the hell of it, they might just redo Ultron? I mean, oh, yeah. I could see that. I, yeah, I think all possibilities I mean, are on the board. I mean, we literally just watched Avengers Infinity War. If that proves anything, <laughs> all possibilities in the future are on the board. The Infinity Gauntlet of Movies. <laughs> Cosmic Red Skull happened. <laughs> Who he may floated. or may not be the unseen, which fascinates me. <laughs> Prove me wrong. And that scene also just exemplifies, like, that entire sequence is Infinity War for me. Because not only do you have that amazing moment with Red Skull that is both excellent housekeeping, holy shit, we finally know what happened to the Red Skull, <laughs> uh, a great use of the tapestry of the universe to lend dramatic weight to a scene that could have been much more empty. And plus, it's just that entire scene is so comic books. It is Jim Starlin. From the staging to the dialogue to everything that happens, that is a scene from a 70s Marvel cosmic comic translated to the big screen in a way that isn't hokey or weird at all. It loses nothing in translation, but also fits perfectly in a movie. That's a miracle to me. Because <laughs> that hardly ever works. Like, it is very hard to get down comic book tones in these movies like Captain America was magnificently able to do it with recreating the feel of those golden age comics but there aren't that many other examples of such direct uh, tone faithfulness and it proves that no if you're really really smart about that you can just make this stuff, this stuff as epic and idiosyncratic as the comics that inspired it were. I do have to say, I'm incredibly impressed at how they managed to tread tone throughout this whole thing. Like, it would have been very easy to make this very dour and very serious, because it is. Like, in the end of the movie, half of everyone dies everywhere. That's a pretty big bummer. But they've laced the rest of the film with a lot of really good humorous beats, not enough that it feels like it's undercutting the dramatic underpinnings of everything else, though. Yeah. Like, you get moments where it's funny, and then you get moments where it's deadly serious. And those can happen within seconds of each other. Like, when Thor is trying to restart the dead star to forge his new weapon. <laughs> That's and a Peter Dinklage, said. And Peter Dinklage has to tell him, like, it's suicide. And he's like, only if I die. And Peter Dinklage has that moment where he's like, yes, that's what killing you means. <laughs> I mean, up until Thanos arrives in Wakanda, they're still interlacing jokes throughout the entire fight. Even when Thor shows up, some of the best jokes are, are leading up to the finger snap. Spoilers. And none of them, like, I expected the jokes to be up front. Like, ah, they'll be in the first act and, like, they'll be in the second act, but those will start to slowly fall away. Just based on normal film rules of how these tones usually work. Like, you, you front load it, and then as it gets serious, you pretty much cut out all the jokes. Maybe one or two after that. 
but mm-hmm. they're able to keep them in there and still without making joke jokes. Like they're all still pretty much character based. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're always acting like the Russos and Mark and McFeely have been fucking excellent at, and they do it without undercutting anything is you're able to switch back and forth from an incredibly dramatic heart-wrenching moment or something that's full of stakes quick cut to a joke that doesn't deflate anything but actually just adds to the overall universe of the story being told yeah that's such a difficult thing to do and you see so many movies these days fail at that because so many movies make the mistake of using a comedic beat to deflate tension and deflate stakes. Since the point of a joke in an action scene traditionally is just to relieve the tension, which worked fine in older movies where it was set up, set up, then punchline at the end. And a lot of movies these days, you kind of just see random cutaways to jokes in the middle of otherwise serious scenes. So the de- so the relief of tension is becoming before the tension is actually supposed to be relieved. And this movie manages to like thread a needle with that in a way that I haven't seen a movie like this do before. Like the, the amount of jokes per capita to each scene should turn the tide of the entire movie over to comedic, but it never feels that way. All things in balance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And that was one of the things that had me tripping out during the film, just like beyond just being a nerd, but just being like a movie nerd and a comedy nerd, seeing different film styles of comedy overlap and interact with each other was just as interesting as the continuity stuff. Like you have Spider-Man humor overlaying Iron Man humor interacting with Thor humor and Guardians humor and Doctor Strange humor and all of it gelled together. I think the Thor and Guardian stuff is like the best example of that deadpan Thor humor and then invisible Drax. <laughs> okay, after that, after that entire subplot, am I the only one who just wants Thor to be on the Guardians in the next movie? <laughs> Thor, it's it's weird. Thor recently became like the first they're the, the, the best crossover guy. Like, what do you do with Hulk? Put him in space. Oh, my God. We love Hulk again. Uh, what, what do we do now? Uh, put him with the Avengers. Oh, my God. This is fantastic. Like, you can add <laughs> Thor to spice up any meal. That's the magic of Hemsworth, one of the best comedic actors alive, and we're only just realizing it. I can't believe Hemsworth is real sometimes. Like, his monologue, <laughs> like, halfway through that movie, fucking dramatic monologue, then comedy. And he is the most beautiful thing that's ever existed. Like, I don't understand how he exists on this planet. And he's been, he's graced us with his presence. And he fathered James T. Kirk. (laughs) I'm glad you brought the monologue part, though, because one thing you see people complain about in the Marvel series is that they're really, really good at not actually making change between films. They give the illusion of change like an actual comic where between each film, there's only micro changes. And in this one, we got to see the emotional fallout of everything that has happened to Thor since Ragnarok unleashed. And we, we got to actually see emotion carry over from film to film, which is fantastic. A lot of times, you know, the character will go through something and by the next film, they've kind of shrugged it off or they won't mention again that, hey, my mom died in the last one. Yeah. And this time Thor brings to the forefront, like, Thor's had a really, really bad month. <laughs> 
Thor has quietly had one of the best character arcs in the entire MCU. Like he's gone from being a frat boy douchebag in the first movie to being the more uh, even-tempered hero of the second film and the Avengers movies, and now he's just comic book Thor. We got to see a lot of great stuff too. Even uh, Rocket's evolution from uh, Guardians Two, where he, you know he has that talk with the Andu, and he realizes more about himself and that he's not scaring his friends away. He could be more emotionally open and honest in this one, where he has this okay, I guess I'm the captain now moment, where he sits Thor's down and actually like approaches the subject of what's bothering him emotionally. I think that's a great bit to see. Like Rocket, the talking raccoon who loves guns, decides to have a nice moment of being emotionally supportive of another person. And gives him a robot eye just to give something back he has lost. Because I wanted to call bullshit <laughs> on Thor getting his eye back, but we wow, that was actually kind of brilliant. <laughs> they they did a great job on that because everyone was assuming it was going to be some sort of bullshit excuse Marvel just threw in so they didn't have to see giant eye. And then, oh, of course, Rocket would give him a working robot eye because Rocket just fucking collects body parts. So it makes perfect sense. And we've established that it would make sense in this film series. <laughs> it's just there's something so beautiful about how Rocket addresses a Thor specific problem with a Rocket specific thing. I love how it illustrates too the difference of technologies between all these groups, even though the Asgardians are literal gods. Their technology doesn't include like replaceable eyes. They just give you an eye patch. That's that's fine. You get an eye patch. Whereas like on Xandar, nah, screw that. We'll get you a robot leg, robot arm, robot eyes. Nebula's like ninety percent robot. Big chunks of the galaxy are big into that kind of stuff. And then on Earth, like they couldn't necessarily give you a new eye, but Tony Stark's figured out stuff to make Rhodey walk again pretty much normally. And now he's got nanotech, which seems more advanced than a lot of the stuff the Guardians even have. It's like each culture's kind of distinctly developed its own thing, which is is really neat production work. I'll just take a moment to say that since Iron Man 3, I have been... I, I have had one proclamation, <laughs> which is Marvel has been sitting there looking at what Shane Black did and that they could not stop. It's been sitting there going, ah, fuck. You really need to give him that arc reactor back. Scene one of Iron Man in Infinity War. He just has a fucking arc reactor. I was in the theater, like, already pointing the screen. Bullshit! Bullshit! And then he, like, gives that throwaway line, like, it's detachable. I'm like, okay, you get this round. I just love how it was done exactly the way we've always joked. Hey, Tony, that's your arc reactor. Yeah, I got it removed, but this is a new one. I'm Iron Man. <laughs> I feel like the weird ongoing contract limbo that they have with uh, Robert Downey Jr. just leads to very unusual character arcs for him. You mean where he retires every film? <laughs> yeah, I like... Love, every single time you see Iron Man post-Avengers plays like it's the last time you'll ever see Iron Man. <laughs> Which really every, surprised me. It's a constant I, state of saying goodbye. That was it. I thought he was going to be one of the guys like bite it, and not from the finger snap. I thought Thanos was just going to outright murder him. We got close in this, but in my mind, like I just assumed the whole time this is our swan song for Tony Stark, and he was not going to be in part four. So that was that was a big surprise for me. Oh yeah, I was surprised he 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 made it, or he's being kept on the board at all. Just didn't go away and turn the finger snap. But that was like a really brilliant part. I thought they did where when they have Thanos stab Tony. Oh, okay, this is the moment, this is the moment. They immediately then reverse that and then kill off half of the other cast. 
It's like, oh, you used our expectation of that to make things worse. Well played, <laughs> well, and, and, and two, I was thinking the whole time, like, oh boy, I thought the big conference. Uh, big confrontation was going to be between Captain America and Thanos because they really built that up in the trailers. Yeah. You know, there's the whole moment where Cap grabs the gauntlet and holds Thanos still for a second, and they overlay that with the line, I hope they remember you. Which made me think he was saying that to Cap right before he killed Cap. And Cap barely is a presence in this film. He's he's not around for that much of it. That shocks me. So I was thinking the whole time, like, oh, okay, they're sparing Cap this time, so he's going to be our main dude next time. And they'll, they'll like, have to bump off Tony, because if Tony's around, he's going to eat up a lot of the screen time, but they also have the unleft, uh, the unfinished business with you know Tony and Captain actually reconciling after Civil War. So it's very good that we get those two alive for next time because they're going to have to finally talk to each other. And emotionally, there's so much they can do with that. I was so happy when that movie opened, and they immediately do the bullshit thing that everyone expected them to do after Civil War. Thanos is here. Well. Time to use the America phone. And then they immediately subvert that and they never meet. Bruce Banner? Mm, no, it's not going to work. Can't bring me out of action. And Hawkeye, of course, is on house arrest. Yeah, Ant-Man and Hawkeye are just apparently sitting under house arrest. Do you think they called? No. No. <laughs> no. Scott, we need you to get small. I get big now, too, guys. Okay. I mean, Giant Man would have actually been useful. <laughs> Could you imagine him just pulling off the Infinity Gauntlet with giant fingers? Oh! Hey, man's got his pinky out as he's grabbing it with his thumb and his index. He just puts it on the pinky. Now I'm in charge! The Infinity Thimble! I like the other <laughs> idea, too, of Ant-Man going really small, and when Thanos is trying to close his glove, he can't for some reason, and then they just zoom in as Ant-Man holding the gauntlet up. With all of his ant strength. Oh! <laughs> Heroic music blaring by Alan Silvestri. It's shot exactly like Cap raining in the helicopter and Blitz yes. Soldier. Yes. <laughs> God damn, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I do I do like the apparent strategy here, though, of uh, the rope-a-dope. They're going to hit us with some real heavy stuff for Avengers, and then next month we're going to get what's probably going to be more slapstick uh, judging by the giant ant playing drums from the trailer, mm-hmm. uh, more slapstick Ant-Man. And that should level us out quite a bit. So, like, we don't have that very dour feeling going for a whole another year while we wait for Avengers 4. It, it, I, 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 like, I, I've been so confused by why Ant-Man the Wasp was coming out after Infinity War <laughs> until I watched yeah. Infinity War. Oh, so no one kills themselves. <laughs> I love how Ant-Man's role in the MCU will always be to awkwardly epilogue Avengers movies. <laughs> He's already our Tiger Avengers Bomb. movies. That, oh, that is a really good point Mike just made, though, about the fact that, yeah, we've got a downer movie here. But typically, in my mind, if a movie ends on a down note, you can expect the audience to react very neg- negatively to that. That's not the case. Even something like Rotten Tomatoes, which can be iffy in judging public perception based on smear campaigns and whatnot. Audiences seem like they're way on this. I checked right before we started with this recording. It was like a 92% favorable rating for audiences. So even though this was a downer film and a lot of people are complaining, the ending is clearly just set up for part four because duh. Uh, People still are very happy with the film and they're going back. Like people are seeing this multiple times. So somehow Marvel did it. They didn't 
piss everyone off by killing off half the characters. Yeah. I, I didn't tell you guys this, but my crowd had the best reaction. They were just confused. And when the director name and all the credits popped up, two or three people started clapping. Yeah. And then realized that that was in bad taste and stopped. <laughs> That's the funniest goddamn thing ever. Because the rest of the audience was in mourning. I did like it. My screening, the, the first time I went, some guy walked up uh, to the back row and he's just trying to be friendly. So he asked the people sitting next to him, like, hey, are you ready for the biggest movie of the year? And the woman he said this to just turned to him and said, Black Panther was the biggest movie of the year. <laughs> and he went, fair enough. And then he just shut up. So when we were watching the film, all of a sudden Black Panther disappeared. Like this woman clapped the second Wakanda came on screen. She was so excited. She was so happy. And then the second Black Panther just, shh, he's dust in the wind. I just heard, what the fuck? <laughs> And then that guy claps. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry. <laughs> so I, I love what it did to people. I mean, the, the big complaint I've seen about the film from a lot of normally reputable sources is, oh boy, what a cheat for an ending. They killed off half these guys. We know they're coming back. It's like, yes, we have meta-knowledge of contracts and sequel plans and all that. We know there's a second Spider-Man coming out. We know there's a Black Panther 2 coming out. We know these characters will be back. But just to look at it that way, it discounts the, the total like uh, emotional urgency of the moment. Like yeah. to these characters, they don't have the meta knowledge of all that bullshit. They're written to believe everything in their world has just been ripped in half. Well, I know uh, Bob Chipman said it very good in his review when he stated it simply. Yeah. If they never made another movie, Spider-Man still wouldn't be dead because Spider-Man isn't real. That's the other thing. Like, no, I, I, I'm upset by that scene because it's well-directed. The reason any scene works. Like, it's, that's just a good scene in a movie. It doesn't matter uh, what the, the metatextual stakes are. Yeah, people get wrapped up in that stuff, and they, they treat it like it's all real. Which is, is so odd for me that 40-year-old men can go into this and act that way. Like... It's, well, these are, a, these are the same people who think that Ryan Johnson actually murdered Luke Skywalker <laughs> and he's dead now. He's dead forever. <laughs> we'll never get him back. Yeah, it's it's just, it's so odd to me that that's the reaction for a lot of these things. And I, I just feel like, okay, so you can't appreciate the in-moment thing where Peter Parker apologizes as he's dying because he's Spider-Man and all he ever does is feel guilty about shit. Like how spot on and sad that is. And that moment of Tony Stark with his adoptive son dying in front of him. Like that's heartbreaking. That's really, really well done. I don't care if Spider-Man's coming back in a year. Yeah. It, it, it still happened to those characters. Fuck. When Peter comes back, he'll still have the memory of probably, depending on how it happens, of fucking dying. <laughs> so. Right. Tony will probably remember that moment of loss and failure. And, you know, that doesn't quite go away just because uh, fingers unsnapped later on. And I well, can, I mean, it occurred I, with time stones. It's confusing like that. Yeah, but I, I like I can understand, you know, a lot of people, and even us, even even we've before, you know, have gone. No, uh, never. You know, We're perfect angels. Oh, um, when stakes aren't really followed up upon and are immediately reversed, like we kind of sit, you know criticize the Marvel movies for not you know completely following up on death stakes or or things at least close to that previously. 
But I, I think the difference with Infinity War is it's not, yes, all those characters dusted and died. Uh, and of course, I'm only counting the characters who died from the finger snap, not not everybody else. But Yeah, Heimdall is, I'm assuming, not coming back ever. Yeah. Um, the story isn't those characters are dead forever. We have to move on from that and figure out what the, what the next phase of the Marvel Universe is without Spider-Man. That's not the story. That's the setup for the story of how the fuck are they going to win when they just lost. That's a little bit different. That's not denial of stakes. That's the setting of the stakes. If you don't fix this, these characters are fucking dead forever. Also, I really, really, really hope that in the next Avengers, they immediately bring Vision back and they do like the all-white getup. I think that's what they're doing. (laughs) That that was what I was telling um, MB and Jamie actually last night. Is I'm pretty sure that's like what they're setting up is that particular story. Vision it does is slow. He's my absolute favorite character in these movies. I know it's stupid because he has like 20 minutes of combined screen time over four films or something. <laughs> but I, I just really enjoy that character and the small arc he has. And even the mini arc here is set up and executed so quickly. It's a blink and you'll miss it type thing where he starts off with Scarlet Witch saying, hey, I'm totally fine abandoning my responsibilities to be with you. And then the second he sees there's something bad happening, he's like, no, no, I was totally wrong. I can't even entertain that thought for a minute. I have to go save the world. And then basically becomes a giant MacGuffin and doomed. But there's that thought throughout the whole movie that he is always willing to sacrifice himself, even though he claims earlier that he's willing to do whatever to be with Scarlet Witch. Like, it's just not in him. He's always going to be the guy like Cap to jump on the grenade. So when people say Vision's boring, they can go fucking die. <laughs> even an android can cry. It's true. So to see Vision die twice in the film is like, oh, come on, guys, it's not nice. That is how brutal Infinity War is. A character died twice. It was like one of the more pure characters, too, honestly. Like, they had the whole movie of him essentially dying with a knife stuck through his chest. He gets beaten up a lot, and then he has to beg his girlfriend to murder him. She (laughs) does, and then he gets brought back to life. His girlfriend gets knocked out, and he gets murdered again. Well, that's... It like, only would have been sadder if they had done the finger snap and she had vanished and then, his, like, the power cells in his head blinked out. <laughs> <laughs> he lived just long enough to see everyone die. And he cried a single tear. <laughs> well, that brings me to something I really wanted uh, to get into, which is something that I've seen a lot of people complain about. And admittedly, it was something I had a big issue with while watching the film but have started to really appreciate going back to it, which is the repeating scene of characters having to choose between giving Thanos what he wants and sacrificing the life of another. Yeah. Which, when you watch the movie, it's just like, okay, how many times are they going to do this? (laughs) Pretty much everyone gets one. But then you look back and you're like, oh, every Infinity Gem cost a life. That's actually really brilliant. Well, and and those scenes, I think, are like the best in the movie. When you have Star-Lord trying to decide if he's going to honor Gamora's wishes and kill her, or if he's going to back out because he loves her too much. It's fantastic. And when Thanos screws at them and forces him to do it, oh, boy, it's what a dick move. It's, it's fantastic, the, though. It's the theme, and it's the theme of the movie. I mean, that that is the... That plays into what Thanos' plot is. I mean, they just have Cap pretty much spell it out when it comes to Vision sacrificing himself as well. It's like, that's the difference between 
where Thanos is and where everybody else is. Like, so they can replay that scene and see different characters reacting, facing the, the same moral quandary. And I love how they don't play it as a completely binary thing where everyone who isn't Thanos makes the same choice. Like, you see Wanda ultimately choose to kill Vision yeah. to protect the stone. It just doesn't matter. And I love how this entire movie is based around not just Thanos as a character, but Thanos's philosophy. Like this entire movie is fo- is informed by what Thanos thinks and how Thanos feels about the universe. <laughs> and that was so unexpected. Like this was just the Thanos MCU movie. Yeah. <laughs> that character we were all really really worried about up until seeing the movie. It was it was I guess it shouldn't be a surprise because the MCU has made no bones about changing character motivations, basically making them themed sort of similar to their counterpart, but not being the same. At first, the idea of Thanos not being obsessed with death was a little bit of a letdown, but the way the movie version plays out, it's like, no, that's cool. This this character totally works without having like, a literal skeleton figure of death hanging around for him to be infatuated with. Although I really thought that's what they're bringing Hela in for. I thought Hela was going to end up being that character for him. Yeah, so, so did I for a little while. Well, they do an interesting thing, which is A, they actually keep the love aspect of Thanos' story, but they recontextualize it to a father-daughter story. Yeah. Uh, so they actually hold on to that in a really interesting way, which plays into the overall kind of theme of the current phase of Marvel movies we're in uh, when it comes to parental figures and fathers in particular. <laughs> Bad but, dads, the superhero story. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like, Jamie and I were talking last night about it, and it like Thanos's motivation wasn't so much changed for I think simplicity's sake. Of course, yeah, it kind of worms opens up when you start getting to Mistress Death and shit. But clearly, Infinity <laughs> War proved they're not shying away from the cosmic stuff at all. Right. Um, with you know the unseen Red Skull showing up, but it actually plays into the culmination of ten years of the MCU of superhero origin stories and superhero ethics and a superhero story like jamie pointed out to me last night thanos is the ultimate superhero that's how he's presented now he's everyone in the mcu if they didn't defeat their own personal demon like this is who tony stark would be if he lived to be a thousand well i think they changed it around too i mean in the comics there's always that idea it's thanos obsessed with death this version of thanos is really obsessed with life and yeah. he can only achieve it by a whole lot of death. Which is so fascinating because it, in a way, Thanos is still worshipping death just in a very abstract way. I'm, and, I'm mostly impressed by the fact that we've gotten in superhero films a whole lot of, hey, it's a giant CGI guy that we're supposed to be scared of because he's real strong. And most of them always end up just being generic CGI blobs. And this is one of the few times where as a giant CGI guy who was a real character, so he actually gave a damn about him. Yeah, Thanos seems almost intentionally designed to be the anti-Steppenwolf. <laughs> like, he's fairly basic. He's essentially just a real thick big guy. You know, he's he's obviously an alien, but not in, like, a sense where it's like he's got tentacles and shit. He's, you know, got a little bit of ribbing on his face, and he's real tall. And a lot of it is, it's like, some of it's the design, some of it's the way Russo's have decided to film Thanos, 
um, which is very different than how these kind of characters are usually filmed uh, in movies. And the big part of it is what Brolin decided to do against essentially being a CGI character and playing against being a character that that's large and grand and a god, essentially. Well, he takes the same philosophy to Thanos that Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly took to Superman in All-Star Superman, where if you were the most powerful being in the universe, would you want to look big and tough or would you just be really relaxed? Because you know you're going to get everything you want. And what's interesting is, like, that's not even necessarily in the script, at least originally. Like, that was all from Brolin. Yeah, Marcus McFeely were uh, conducting an interview where they were talking about, and they're really, I'm glad someone from the movie's talking um, specifically about Brolin's performance like these terms, because I think it's why it's so, like, it's why I was so captivated uh, by it, which is they were watching an early CGI test of, of Brolin. Like, they were just doing some stuff, and so he was just, you know, they just wrote some lines for him and, and blah, blah, blah to uh, just do some testing. But they, he played it completely different than anything any anybody on set was expecting, and he was adding uh, hesitations, just very, very humanistic mannerisms that is so against type and so against the character itself, and completely regrounds everything around Thanos. They end up writing Thanos's dialogue specifically to what Brolin did in that original test. And yeah, you can tell it's giving, it's giving Brolin a lot of stuff to chew on, to do things like that. Like Brolin, I mean, of course everybody's praising Brolin's performance, but the, the detail of it, I think is kind of getting overlooked. Like those little ticks and, and those pauses that he's putting into Thanos, no matter what he's, no matter how you know ridiculous or grand and cosmic a thing he's saying, it's not only grounding it; it's making Thanos this almost emotional touchstone in the film, despite him being fucking Thanos. <laughs> and and I like how you end up with this hodgepodge of a villain, where half of them is the. Jim Starlin idea of Thanos. And then the other half is a Jim Shooter era 1980s Avengers Space God villain. Because <laughs> Jim Starlin, like there was one story he liked to tell in the Avengers over and over and over again. It's whenever a spaceman comes to Earth with the power of a god, and he just wants to make the foolish humans see and protect their world. And the Avengers have to spoil everything. It's almost like Jim Shooter kept inserting himself into things. <laughs> and I love how you get that with Thanos, so it makes it more of an Avengers story. <laughs> And it's so amazing to think Brolin's doing all that acting under CGI. Like that was an Andy Circus level performance where that Thanos was just real. Between the performance and the CGI, that was just a real space dude I was watching. <laughs> that's that's one thing I think always captures that stuff. Even in years from now when that's dated, it'll still come through because it's got that human performance behind it. 
I was just thinking back the other day uh, when Pirates of the Caribbean 2 came out, how good Davy Jones looked. And at the time, like, this is fantastic. This is the best it'll ever be. And years later, I'm very wrong. Like, they've gotten much better than Davy Jones. But you can still go back and watch that movie and love the work that Bill Nye is doing, emoting through the CGI. It yeah. really shows. And I think the same thing is true with Roland here. Years from now, even if we've made totally perfect photorealistic CGI, we can still look at dated stuff and think, wow, that's a that's an actor that just happens to have a lot of CGI makeup. It's fun it's fucked up how good it is in the movie when you're cutting to other CGI characters who kinda look like shit and then you cut back to Thanos and it's like, oh thank God, we're back to a real person. <laughs> it's weird. Proxima Midnight, despite just being a tall lady, looks like a World of Warcraft cutscene. <laughs> then Thanos is real. Some of the stuff threw me a little bit, like when Banner has his head poking outside the Hulkbuster. That, 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 the tracking on that was so weird. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, even though the movie looks like it had an unlimited budget, there still is only so much time you can have people push these effects together. And I have to assume every frame of this movie was slathered in CGI. Like, is this the first movie where every single character is a superhero? <laughs> right, yeah. like there's not a lot of down moments where you can just have like two people talking in a room that doesn't require any CGI. Yeah, pretty much any time two people are talking, it's going to be like, oh, they're also sitting inside of a wizard's shop. We do not have Hawkeye's family in this film. Yeah, there's no nice little farm. It's no Nick Fury hanging out in his cool truck. It's it's always stuff like, oh, here's Spider-Man with his now 100% CGI costume out in space. I was like, can that be a children's book? Nick Fury and his cool truck. <laughs> <laughs> Beep, beep, motherfucker, said and, Nick Fury. And it's like, there's a lot of, uh, like, stuff with the CGI and maybe, like, other random, like, technical things that could pop up and go like, ah, come on, guys, you could have done better. And then you stop and go, you know what, I'm just glad you didn't die making this movie because holy fucking shit. So I'm going to let you go on that. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, like, I can just shrug it off because there's so much happening and I'm involved in all the action and the storytelling where... Screw it. I, I'm, I'm not going to get bent out of shape if it looks like Bruce Banner's head is maybe floating in CGI space. And I think that's a great strength of the Russo brothers just in general. Like they can sell special effects where even if it doesn't work, it's not it's never embarrassing. Like there's a certain art to making shaky special effects still look like cinema. I'm just mad it was an all claymation. I would have loved to see Claymation Thanos. That's all of Doctor Strange's effects. It's like just little bits of clay across the screen. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> the Red Band Clays of Citrock. Okay, I lost my shit when the fucking Red Band, the Crimson Bands of C of Citarac showed up for a second. Somehow, <laughs> yeah, like technically I, an X-Men thing. It's like, wait, is it's, that still legal? I don't know how this works. It's it's very easy for Doctor Strange to get reduced down to he does kung fu with magic whips and swords. So I'm very glad they did some different stuff where it's like he goes up into space and he sees a thousand millions of different outcomes or, you know, he makes <laughs> clones of himself, mirror versions everywhere, or he can throw locking bands or there's a dead man's curse on the time stone. So people can't just take it from him. There's there's all sorts of fun tricks that I, they threw into that character that really elevate him from just being a boring CGI thrower. God, Strange was comic books. They leaned into comic book strange more than the movie did 
I, there was more sorcery. I do love the way uh, Thanos interacted with each one of the characters. And when it came to Doctor Strange, it was fucking tricky wizard. <laughs> like he was very wary anytime he talked to Doctor Strange. Just like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't like it. Be straight with me. I only have one magic man in my group, and that's enough. <laughs> right. And he's in space now. He's dead. Thanks. Whereas, like, Spider-Man, when he's fighting Spider-Man, it's mostly just annoyance. Like, God damn it, you're a child. Why aren't you dead? <laughs> like, he literally grabs me at one point and just shouts, Insect! God, one of my favorite moments in recent film history was watching Spider-Man fight Thanos while jumping through Doctor Strange wormholes. <laughs> magic kick! Magic punch! <laughs> magic kick! And I can't believe Spider-Man fought Thanos and held his ground. This is the most useful Spider-Man I've ever seen. <laughs> he webbed Thanos' face, looks, just like in the comics. <laughs> And then he died screaming like Spider-Man should. Yep. <laughs> and turned yep. to Ash like in the clone saga. That's because he was a clone. He was Ben Riley the entire time. That's something that I appreciate so much, too. It's like none of the characters are really thrown in there just for shits and giggles. Even the really ancillary ones. Like Spider-Man's there and he does shit. Yeah. Most of it's pretty good. There's a couple of characters that you can tell are like... A little push to the side, like they need to be there, but kind of like Drax isn't all that useful outside of the the comedy relief midway through the film. In the final fight, I think he like cuts Thanos in the leg once and then disappears. They managed to use uh, Mantis more than I expected, so that was neat. Mantis continues to be the most powerful person in the Marvel universe. I, I like how they have to find ways around Mantis now. Like, oh god damn it, she broke another plot. <laughs> it is like her and Vision. They have to figure out how to take out. It's like ah crap. We shouldn't have we shouldn't have introduced gods. Essentially, <laughs> that was it. No universe, universe that also has the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, they really had to nerf Vision, which bummed me out this time. But I can go with it because everything else works. And I can. He was stabbed completely through the chest, so I can I can see why maybe he's having a hard time punching people properly. Yeah, going back to character short changes, it's something that does like. I do see as kind of a problem with the film, but I'm having a hard time deciphering how problems with Infinity War actually work, uh, because you sort of can't view Infinity War as a traditional piece of cinema. It's kind of trying to do something beyond and almost outside of its own medium, which is both fascinating, but it's hard to wrap your head around completely. So stuff like... Yeah. Uh, you know, and, 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 of course, then there's the big thing of, oh, man, Captain America doesn't have a lot to do. Why would Captain America have a lot to do in Thanos' movie? <laughs> well, it's like you said after seeing it. He just did the Captain America thing. What Captain America does in every crossover, be Captain America. <laughs> Essentially. Well, you do stuff, see stuff like uh, the New York Times review of the film that basically laid on the fact that you know, this is a part 19 of a series and you have to have understanding of those other films or else this one doesn't work because suddenly sequels are a new thing. Uh, <laughs> or just the idea that, yes, face value, this one doesn't work solo because you have to have all the emotional baggage from previous films to understand where people start and end at. You have to basically see the next part to really get closure on this one. It, it's not designed to stand on its own. If you drop this in front of someone who'd never seen any other superhero film they'd probably be more confused than anything else but yeah it's it's a new way of doing these things it's part of a giant cinematic universe 
and there's not much else out there like this or that has the same kind of precedence. So, you know, we can we can wag our fists at the sky and complain about how things are new and different than they were, but uh, it's something new, man. We got to give it out. Give it uh, give it a shot. Yeah, and unlike I would say, you know, the first the first Avengers film was a sequel to all the films that came be- came before it. Like that's how it mm. works. Characters were reintroduced and were followed up on on you know each each place they were left in their previous film. Um, Civil War was essentially both a sequel to Winter Soldier and Age of Ultron. Infinity War has no interest in acting as a sequel to anything that came before it, like as a straight follow-up sequel. It's like, no, we, you know where these characters were left off. Some stuff's happened in the meantime. This is a, this is a whole isolated story that's happening. It th- There are thematics that are followed up on, but we're going right in, running. Characters are going to have to, to react to what's happening. This is a different experience than anything you've seen a film conduct before it and that's the thing that kind of irks me about that line of thinking which is like since when are there rules and even if there are what interest do you have in upholding those rules it must always be the same it's like i want my art in the box that was drawn for it <laughs> i mean i can see I can see from certain standpoints, like the the things I'm kind of bothered with with the movie, where it's, it does there is kind of a lack of, I feel like character from everybody. Um, like I know there's a banner scene that, that's that's cut out. I think we all have seen like images from it and stuff. I feel like that was a shame to cut out when the film needed like not even just specifically banner, but just like a character cool down because it's so bombastic and it's so never stops moving. Doesn't hurt. It does need like five more minutes of air, definitely. Yeah, um, but it's still once again hard to wrap your head around. It's like it's not. It, it I can't really criticize it from, and it seems like a cop out. Like, but I really can't criticize it from normal film standards because it's not doing that. It's it's doing something completely wholly new. And don't you like trying new things? No. <laughs> First of all, that was very excellently said, Mike. You made a great point. Second, I just realized, do these people take the same issue with Harry Potter having, like, 15 movies? I wonder about that, because if you jump into Harry Potter on, like, movie six, what the hell? Like, you you would get a little bit of lip service, like, here's the things that are happening now. But mostly, I think you'd be left in the dust. I don't know. I, I tend to watch these things all the way through instead of starting with part three and moving onward. I'm going to be honest, if, if you watch Terminator 2 without having seen Terminator, you would even be a little lost there, too. <laughs> well, I love how they're being intellectually snobbish about something that only really applies to movies. Like, books have been doing this for a very long time. <laughs> I'm just curious where the floor drops out on this, because <laughs> we're at 19 Marvel films, and for years people have been telling us superhero fatigue is going to kill this whole industry. Or, uh, you know, eventually it'll be too much and the Jenga Tower will fall down because no one wants to see 19 movies before they see the new one. But considering how many people flocked to the new Thor, how many people went to see Black Panther, how many people went to go see Infinity War, it doesn't seem like we're letting up. If anything, it's getting bigger. I hate to break it to people who worry about superhero fatigue. Uh, Superhero comic books have been printed um, since the 30s. Also... 
back in the day, there were, I don't know, I think around 80 singing cowboy films released in a single <laughs> year. So get the fuck over it that you have to watch four, maybe, superhero films a year. Yeah, I love when people complain about the bombardment of identical superhero movies. It's like, we we get like three sometimes, and most of them are completely different from each other. My only complaint would be like, maybe stop letting Fox make bad superhero movies. Like, a lot of the times I think the fatigue idea just comes from the fact that a lot of the product is spoiled by the time it reaches the store. Anything Sony does? Yeah. Can't <laughs> wait for Venom. What's well, my f- my favorite weird, shaky criticism of the MCU when people just start describing the bad X-Men movies or Amazing Spider-Man? It's like, I, I don't want to watch this Sergio Leone film. I have some serious issues with the works of Howard Hawks. <laughs> I mean, we live in a world uh, where people can't let Batman and Robin go, so... Eh. The internet, surprisingly, filled with bad takes. (laughs) One of those I'm actually very curious your opinion on. I've seen several places uh, pushing stories that Star-Lord is the real villain of the movie. (laughs) The internet needs to fucking stop. Every time I see that, I just want to, like, smash my face against the keyboard. Like, yes, the guy who got emotionally caught up in the moment and who is generally always a moron, he's the real villain, not the guy who set out to destroy half the universe in the first place. Well, Thanos was right. The internet figured that out in like 48 hours. I already saw manips of Thanos with red caps. But I I love the... I've actually seen people get in legitimate back-and-forth arguments over this as though Star-Lord is real (laughs) and actually destroyed the universe. But, uh, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I, like, sure, the guy made a dumb choice because the movie needed someone to make a choice for the film to go on. Whatever. That's dramatic. You know, that's how it works. It's fine. You're it's, not it's an intellectual not like a, because you're saying it. Yeah, it's not like Star-Lord actually came to your house and spit in your soup, and he really is that evil. It's like, okay, he had enough reason to do this thing, and everything will be fine in the end. It's, it's going to be okay. Also, I understand Doctor- you're upset that Spider-Man's dead right now, but it'll be okay. Doctor Strange also is the one who gave Thanos the Time Stone. Right. And he because doesn't even Iron Man has to live. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you even look inside the movie, it gives you that clue. Because Doctor Strange is like the only guy who doesn't tell Peter to knock it off. The guy who's seen the future basically goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, no, it didn't work. Weird. It's it, uh, the whole Star Lord thing. It's like I think it kind of started out. It, it's one of those things that definitely on the internet started out as a joke, but then people were like, "Oh wait, oh so I should have this opinion so that way I seem intellectual about this movie, and I'm revealing well, a truth about it." It's like, no, dude, you just re- you're repeating a meme essentially. Well, it's funny <laughs> that it's repeated with this weird, like like you said, faux intellectual air. Of, oh, this is like saying that Doctor Frankenstein is the real monster. But, like, intellectually consider that for a moment. In the context of the film, what does that perspective mean? Thanos was right all along. Like, what philosophical evil does Star-Lord represent in contrast with Thanos? (laughs) Like, is the moral of the story in that case that uh, if Star-Lord had just not punched that guy, things would be better? I don't even think you need to go that far. Let's just take a moment to take in 
the character's name is Star Lord. <laughs> I want you to take that seriously now. Star Lord. Star Lord. With a hyphen. <laughs> a hyphen for no reason at all. Star Lord. He's half star, half lord. His best friend is a talking half robot raccoon. <laughs> and you really can't argue that that doesn't track because like you go back to the guardians movies technically peter saved the universe twice but he's also a really bad person who never does the right thing <laughs> very often yeah he's an emotionally insecure man child like <laughs> that's kind of his thing but i mean all, most of the characters in the mcu are flawed some are just more flawed than others and people are fucking forgetting like the even context of the scene where star lord does that it's not like he's just punching Thanos because he's mad about some random shit. He just found out Thanos killed Gamora. He's mirroring the audience's reaction and their outrage. See, that's what why I think that that scene and that choice to have things go down that way was very smart writing. Because what ultimately lets Thanos win in the end is something character-based. It's not chance. It's not a MacGuffin. It's, oh, the established character flaw of this character actually fucked something up. This is happening because character, not because plot. And that kind of sums up just where everyone's head's at with this movie was. Or rather, where everyone's head was at with this movie. Like, everything, for the most part, comes from character rather than any kind of abstract machinations. It's pretty impressive how the dominoes were were set up when it came to the writing of this movie and the way it really used the tapestry of the MCU and each character in order to tell that story. No character was adjusted to fit the plot. The plot was fitted around each <clears throat> character and reacted accordingly to have the outcome it had. Like Thor's entire arc in this movie only makes sense with King Thor being a thing. <laughs> like every like it truly felt like a culmination it didn't feel like a cop-out in any way and I, I feel like that's such an accomplishment just in terms of cinema like you somehow managed to pay off the most long-running character build-up multi-character build-up in movie history like most movies can't have that continuity between two or three films also, I feel like this joke went underappreciated before, but I mentioned I was the keeper of the time stone, and I thought that was clever. I enjoyed it. Let's move on. <laughs> good, good. Yes, congratulate me. Yes. So one, one thing I'm a little curious about, Thanos does his finger snaps. Everything gets all fucked up. The gauntlet looks like it's all smoky and charred. It obviously has enough juice to heal Thanos and pull him out of the battlefield at Wakanda. So it obviously works a little bit, but the damage there, I'm assuming, isn't just superficial. That was in, that was interesting. I haven't seen people point that out because that's not from anything. That's an invention of the movie. Like I've never seen the gauntlet get fucked up from doing the gauntlet thing. So I feel I'm, like yeah, that's really a, yeah, I feel like that's a hint towards something. I'm really curious what that'll lead into next time because I don't know what Thanos is going to do now. He already did his thing, and um, the Avengers. Yeah, the Avengers are going to, you know, try and undo that thing, but he doesn't have any henchmen left. 
there's got to be something for the Avengers to do for two and a half hours. They can't just like sit around talking and planning. They got to have some action beats, and they can't all be against Thanos. Thanos' story is just sort of done. They they essentially combined the beginning of the Infinity Gauntlet and the ending of the Infinity Gauntlet for the ending of part one of the adaption of the <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet. And I really do think they may have taken these stones off the board. It, it is possible. Or perhaps just the glove was something Thanos needed just to contain their power before he became omnipotent. And that was a way of saying that oh, he doesn't even need the the gauntlet or the stones now. He's just God. Maybe. There's well, they, so many ways that can go. They do show... Um, I am not even going to attempt to pronounce that made-up word. Uh, the, the Forge Planet... Uh, they do show the gauntlet casing, so they have the means to create their own or new gauntlet. I feel like that might have been a little beat to maybe set something up next time, or maybe not. It's awesome. very hard to tell this far out. Oh God, they, they borrow from Earth's Mightiest Heroes, and Dinklage makes the Infinity Armor for Tony. <laughs> you joke, but who knows? We, we could get the God Killer Armor. But it, it kind of looked like the stones themselves were also fucked up. Whenever he, he looked at the gauntlet after it was kind of like wrecked and smoking, he still was able to teleport away and shit, but yeah, it's like the stone. I mean, it could flat. be an interesting, yeah, it could be an interesting way to handle Thanos next time. Like he's somewhat depowered, so it isn't just God mode Thanos destroying everyone. We've yeah. already seen one on one. No one can come close to him fully powered, except for maybe Thor if he sneak attacks him. So maybe that's how they get the Avengers back in on things. Like he's not 100%. He's more like normal Thanos. Yeah, but everyone's got to be asking right now, like, could Thanos take Hulk in a one-on-one mono-mono fight without the Power Stone? Yeah, it's true. I, I, I think even beyond that, I think Marvel, the Russos, and Marcus McFeely all know. A fa- fans will know, and most people, even normal folks, will guess that, like, okay, they get the gauntlet, they were able, they they could just reverse what what Thanos did. Of course, comic mm-hmm. fans know that's pretty much what happened. You know, especially if they fall through and have, like, Nebula get the gauntlet, and they really redo that from, from the ending of Finley Gauntlet. That's why I think they're, they'll just go in Avengers 4 that, no, the gauntlet and the stones are done. They did their thing, and they're exhausted. Like, it cannot be reversed using those. So, that's gonna be a whole other, like, wrinkle and mystery of how the fuck you reverse the Infinity Gauntlet thing without the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, and for all we know, we don't have any, like, really magical people left. I don't know if Wong, I don't think they showed Wong. Uh, but Strange is definitely gone. Uh, I guess they mentioned time can get funny in, in you know, the, the particle realm. So maybe Ant-Man has some way to play that. But I don't know how they would possibly set it up that you can just get small in time travel. <laughs> well, we know that would be like... really odd. Well, we do know that Tony's, like, whole barf thing from Civil War plays into the plot in some way, where they go back to... Because we've seen set photos of them during key moments from the third act of the Avengers, up, including whenever uh, Thor and Loki and the, and the Cosmic Cube like went back to Asgard during that ending montage. It seems like they're not time-traveling. And also, Marvel has been very... Not giving a shit about people seeing that or figuring it out, which is really curious. But they are being protective of the name for Avengers 4, which, boy, that's confusing. I don't know what they could title this that would be such a huge clue, unless it's like, Avengers 4, Thanos dies by accidentally stepping on a really pointy rake. (laughs) The quantum rake. (laughs) 
Like, I don't even have a guess what the title for Avengers 4 could be that would be a gigantic spoiler, unless it's something like, uh, there's Skrulls now, Avengers 4. I hope it's just called Avengers 4. <laughs> that was the big spoiler they're holding out on us for. Or Age of Ultron Part 2. Like, wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> but it's it's very interesting to look back at the ending of that movie and consider the odd pairings we're left with. Because I assume all of those characters who died will be off the board for at least two-thirds of the movie. Well, unless they do something like they're all trapped inside the Soul Stone in like a separate universe. We do have Gamora inside the Soul Stone, clearly. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to tell what they'll do with the rest of that. I remember, I think it was the Russos. This was months and months ago. They were talking about, like, the structure of the film. They said as far as, like, this move, like, Infinity War versus 4 goes. It's like the way we split the characters characters up. Like, a lot of characters that are kind of, like, don't have a lot to do in Infinity War, they'll be at, like, the forefront of Avengers 4. And the characters who are at the forefront of Infinity War, they'll be in, like, the background of, yeah. uh, of Avengers 4. And then they have to cast dies. So I was like, oh, that's what they meant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it makes sense. Like, they probably maybe sidetrack Tony for a little bit to give, you know, Captain America a little bit more to do. Um, who do we have left? We've got Rocket. We've got Thor. We've got Nebula, Captain America, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson herself. She died. Her, she died her, her darling new haircut. She didn't change her hair this time. It throws me off. It's like, oh, that's not Black Widow. That's the actual person. Scarlett Johansson became very good at martial arts. <laughs> we have the rest of the cast of Black Panther. That's oh, true. God. Yeah. Steve tries to lead Wakanda. No. <laughs> oh, that's a terrible idea. Oh, God. M'Baku survived, didn't he? He did. Yep. He did. So he could become the Black Panther. Yeah. Oh. Oh my Wait, god, I'd be so happy. Huge Black Panther, too. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. I'd, I'd be all about M'Baku becoming the next Black Panther for a movie. But it, uh, uh, Hulk is left, and I mean, Hulk has the whole character arc of becoming Hulk one more time, probably, or coming to terms with Hulk. One uh, last smash. Yeah. Hulk uh, hurt Hulk self today. <laughs> Hulk still does not feel... <laughs> We gotta, we gotta get Tony and Steve basically coming to terms with their broken friendship. Ant I don't know Man. what's left. I mean, Ant Man and Hawkeye will probably show up unless they're gonna be real jerks about that and be like, "No, they disappeared too." <laughs> well, I, I keep saying I was so sad the after credit scene wasn't cut to Hawkeye's kitchen. He's sitting there with his ankle bracelet, eating a sandwich. Suddenly, oh. <laughs> Oh! <laughs> then the sandwich just drops. I thought we were going to leave it at just Hawkeye is just very okay with being gone. Just, oh. Yeah. I could no. see that too, right? This is about right. <laughs> I'm just fascinated that Nebula is going to be technically part of the Avengers in the next movie. One of the main And the Guardians of the Galaxy. Also, I we we mentioned the after credits scene. Fuck all the characters who are still alive and on the Captain Marvel. That's all we need. That's true. We do have Captain Marvel swinging in like Seven Nation Army is going to be blaring through <laughs> some sort of hidden speaker system <laughs> as she just comes in from space and destroys Thanos. I, I love that they're doing the thing I've wanted them to do since Captain Marvel was announced, which is sh you have the cliffhanger ending of Infinity War. 
Then you have Carol's movie. Then you have Carol coming in as the fucking secret weapon to battle Thanos. Because I feel like they're just going to give her the Marvel role in the comics where she is the arch enemy of Thanos. <laughs> For all we know, Thanos is in Captain Marvel. I feel like if Thanos wasn't in Captain Marvel before this came out, they've rewritten it so that he at least has a small part. I feel like somehow they've worked Thanos into Ant-Man and the Wasp, and he will also be in Spider-Man Homecoming 2 and any number of other things after this. In Spider-Man 2, he's got the Thanos copter. (laughs) He did did show up as an Iron Man villain at first, so it's not out of his wheelhouse. Yeah. God, it would be hilarious if in that last scene where he's like, I know who you are, Tony Stark. It just cuts to that panel of him walking into that office. Hello, Iron Man. I am Thanos, ruler of Titan. Thanos has bought out Stark Industries? (laughs) What I love is the story isn't much less silly than that. (laughs) It's true. By the way, we... we, Wait, wait, wait. We we glanced past something important, Jamie. Like, that was a really weird bit where Thanos was just like, I know Tony Stark. Does he know everyone else he's beating up? Or was that just the one dude? He's like, that guy. He was on those magazine covers. He's Thanos. He knows some shit. And the Avengers technically like, happened, so it's understandable. What? Was, like, Ronan gossiping to him about, like, Tony Stark? I'm I don't sure know he how gets Ronan TV. <laughs> Out in space on his giant space chair. You're still obsessed with the fucking space chair, aren't you? <laughs> I'm very glad they didn't use it this time. I think they made a smart choice of giving him a normal throne that's on the ground. <laughs> I love how Thanos has multiple thrones. He's the kind of guy that would have thrones. I feel like he carries a throne with him. Like, he should have a henchman whose whole job is just to assemble thrones quickly when he wants to sit down and just bask in his glory. Oh, that's actually what he was planning on doing with the glove before it fell apart. He was just going to turn into a giant throne he could sit in. (laughs) And grin. Well, he wants to make the perfect chair that's perfectly balanced for his ass. (laughs) Who doesn't need that ass groove? Also, we uh, kind of skipped over it, but you did remind me of one of my favorite things in this film, which is the Russos once again mining the minefield of Iron Man 3 by bringing it all back around to the Avengers and having someone go to Tony and say, hey, you know how you you technically have PTSD and you can't sleep because of the New York incident? Yeah, that was Thanos. He's your arch enemy. And that's done so quickly and subtly. It immediately establishes emotional stakes, like scene one. Integrates, like, full circle moment for the entirety of the Marvel Universe. This movie references everything. Unless you're Hulk. Well, Ross does show back up. That is true. I wonder if Betty dusted away somewhere. (laughs) Oh, no. That's what happened to the theater. I like to think the leader's in a cave somewhere. He just turned to Gargoyle to, like, ask him to get him coffee, and Gargoyle's just dusting away. No! Gargoyle! <laughs> On that note, I think there's only thing, one, one thing left for us to do. Find out if Thanos killed us or not, according to a website quiz. Yes, before the show, we all clicked on www.didthanoskill.me backslash. And we have been withholding the answers from each other the entire episode. That's true. Uh, Some of our viewers are about to be heartbroken when it's revealed 
Who lives? Who dies on this very special pop? I'm going to break the ice. I'm dead. I was spared by Thanos. I am in a balanced universe. Mike? I'm on house arrest. (laughs) (laughs) You can die and still be on house arrest. Your ankle monitor will still just sit in your chair. No, the law says that's wrong. You can't go to hell. Well, we don't know they went to... I don't know if I'm in hell. Well, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Aw, man. But rejoice, for you are now a child of Thanos. Yeah, no, it seems like he's a bad dad. He treats his children (laughs) terribly. But you get to be half robot, and who doesn't want to be half robot? Though your voice does modulate a lot these days, so you are kind of half robot. All right, now you're giving me a lot of pros and cons. This sounds better. (laughs) Cody, have you been talked into becoming a cyborg for Thanos? If that were on the table, 100%. Out of curiosity, how does that work? Does, like, all the robot person go away, too, during the, the, the rapturing? Yes, their clothes disappear. That's true. I mean, the Winter Soldier, didn't his arm stay back, though? Or did no, that his gun too? did. Oh, uh, his gun did, okay. It would be really, I'm going to be honest, it would have been hilarious if his arm just fell. Uh, no, White about... Wolf. And then, and then Cap just cradled it going, it's okay. Oh, I God. can make this work. <laughs> <laughs> they joked about doing that at the end of Star Wars, like when Luke disappears, like his metal hand just clanks against the rock. Don't worry, he took it off right beforehand because he knew that would be awkward. Beforehand? <laughs> no. That is not a do-ho-ho-ho, Cody. You take that back. I can't. I'm good. I don't feel well. <sighs> and if you, too, at home, would like to be a child of Thanos, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash boxofficepulppodcast. We're also on Twitter at boxofficepulp. And please follow us there and uh, tell us what you think. Tell us your theories on Avengers 4 or if we're crazy in any way. Also, tell us if you're on house arrest or dead by Thanos. I'm trapped in a soul stone. Live bop from the soul stone. It's Cody. Cody, I have a question, though. Yes. Was this episode worth it? <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Not shown, uh, because this is audio, a single, single tear rolled down my cheek. <laughs> and like that, he's gone. the ending to the actual Avengers 3 wasn't Nick Fury using the space beeper, but they cut to Bruce Banner walking down a road alone looking very sad, <laughs> and they played the Lonely Man theme. And, they just and no one picks as, him up. Yeah, they just use as a long pass callback to the Incredible Hulk TV show. Which, they, I, now that I think about it, no, they actually did that in the Norton movie. Yeah, so they have that music on hand. An orchestral version. And then that, and then they never make another Marvel movie, and that's the last shot you ever see. Good. See, this is interesting. Normally, when I play the Mist game with movies, like it's pretty easy to find a spot where things are 
super sad and then they get better before the credits this one ends pretty much on the perfect moment for that to be a bummer oh yeah this is just the missed game the movie (laughs) yeah like i can't there's very little i can cut out of this to be like no things aren't that bad i could i could switch it around and release like a happy version like thanos just dies after getting the axe stuck through his chest you'd have to use a lot of like b-roll footage i think of the actors goofing around on set and just weed (laughs) that into the film and uh, and instead of any dialogue there's just and then you just cut to hardcore pornography. Mike! There's a lot of things we could do here. What if, like, uh, <clears throat> instead of, like, we got a couple extra minutes of film to use up, so we just pan over earlier shots of Wakanda, and we just include, like, uh, some Toto. That would make it seem a little happier. It's weird to think now we're trying to think, how do we lighten up this Marvel movie? <laughs> Gamora pops up from behind a box. I'm okay. I brought my friend Heimdall. Idris Elba steps up. There are other worlds than these. (laughs) (laughs) This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. There are a lot of issues that plague the... Greetings and salutations, kiddos. It's me, your old goblin in crime, Roderick Kingsley, here with a special message for you, my adoring public. You may have noticed lately in my many, many appearances that I've had a bit of a spring in my pointy-booted step. No, boys and girls, the secret to my success is no wonder drug or mere miracle diet, but an elixir of the spirit. And, like a Halloween-themed Jehovah's Witness, I'm here to spread the good news like a bombardment of pumpkin bombs. The good news of graphic novelism. But, Uncle Hobgoblin, you ask, what is a graphic novelism? Don't interrupt me, you little shit! But yes, the tenets of graphic novelism are quite simple. A love for the comic book form in all of its forms. A rejection of the complacency that keeps it from reaching further heights. And... Most importantly, a refusal to fall into the dark pool of negativity that has strangled the life out of this culture for too long. Since becoming a devout graphic novelist, I've rebuilt my goblin game from the ground up, soaring high above my fears and insecurities, as though they were the skyline of New York City. And all you have to do to walk this path is look deep within yourself. And send your credit card number care of Roddy the OG Hobby at gobmail.com. Or if you want to be a total Norman about it, just listen to the Graphic Novelism Podcast, where Alex Cook, James Lewis, and Mike Na- Na- Napier preach their love for the medium and warn against those that may do it harm. Remember, ladies and gents, if you want to be the hobgoblin of whatever it is that you do, listen to Graphic Novelism. Subscribe to it on iTunes and The Stitcher. Leave a rating and a comment. Visit graphicnovelism.com. And for God's sake, kill Spider-Man! Ah! <laughs> Another episode. That was just a little taste of graphic novelism. <laughs>